Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I do need to tell you a joke. Um, and I want to preface this joke with, this is not a theologically accurate joke, but it is funny, okay? Um, so these two Texans died, and they ended up in hell. And they're in the waiting room. And the devil walks in, and he's like, how are you liking the heat down here? And they're like, well, this feels like a nice, cool Texas day. And he was so mad. He was so mad. The devil stormed out, and he turned down the, um, he, he turned up the heat as far as it can go, and he's like, that will teach him. And he walks back in, and they're barbecuing. He's like, what are you guys doing? He's like, man, this is grilling weather and smoking weather in Texas. And he was so mad, he stormed out of the waiting room, and he turned it all the way down to freezing cold. It was almost absolute zero. And he walks back in, and they're celebrating. They're high-fiving, and they're cheering. He's like, what are you guys doing? He said, well, hell froze over, so the Cowboys must have won the Super Bowl. <laughs> so dumb. I know. It's, it's, it's dumb. It's, it's dumb. <laughs> I told you it's not theologically accurate. The Titans. It would have been the Titans. if it, it would, that, that, that would have made it more theologically accurate. <laughs> or I could have said, man, Tennessee beat Alabama. I don't Oh, come on. You, you, you say another Tennessee joke, I'm walking out of this building. Well, today I'm talking about idols. And so I'm, just, I'm actually kind of talking about idolatry. So stop it. I got to get back on track. Larry, this is your fault. You always laugh at my jokes, man. So, we are in the middle of a series called, What Does That Really Mean? And there are so many things we say that we, we don't know sometimes what they mean in the church. Sometimes we, we say things and it loses its potency. And how many of you guys have ever heard that statement, that's my cross to bear. That's my cross to bear. Yeah, that, what does that really mean? Because Jesus, it comes from two, two um, conversations Jesus had with his followers. And, but what it's come, what, what it's turned into in our culture is either a joke or an excuse. So I, re- I remember when I was, probably a junior in high school, and it, this conversation was seared into my mind because one of my teammates that was in 10th grade, um, he was asked, how did you get to school this morning? And he goes, I have to ride the bus. That's my cross to bear. That's my cross to bear. And I remember laughing like about that. He's like, well, I have to ride the bus. That's my cross to bear. That's how he worded it. I remember laughing about that. Then later, it just kept searing into my mind, into my mind, into my mind about like 
what, how, how light have we made the cross? I just, I've, I've remembered this conversation for 30 years, and, and oh, actually, I'm not that old, 20 years, and we've made light of this idea of bearing our cross, and it's a, such a tragedy, or tell me if this sounds familiar, I just have an anger problem, that's my cross to bear, or I just can't give up this addiction, that's my cross to bear. Is, am I not right? We, we use that, we use it as an excuse to keep doing what we're not supposed to do. That's my cross to bear. This affliction's my cross to bear. Well, when you look at what Jesus and the context, what Jesus said. Leave it to the enemy to make, to make light of something very serious. Because when Jesus was talking to his disciples in one conversation, and then he's, and then he's turning around and, and he's turning around and talking to a group of followers in another conversation. When he says, "Pick up your cross," that's where it comes from. Or bear your cross and follow me. He was talking to an audience that lived in Roman times that would have seen, arguably knew, or had family members that were crucified. Because when Rome would go into a country and conquer them, all the rebels, what they would do is they would take and crucify them along the highways. And about sometimes every quarter mile, sometimes every half mile, sometimes every mile, but they would do it and it would sear into the public of that, that, that conquered nation. Do not rebel or you'll be crucified. And they wouldn't kill them on the cross. They would let the cross kill them. And what, what the Roman, Romans would do, they would take and make people carry their cross to the point of death, just like they did Jesus. Jesus wasn't the exception. Like how Jesus died was very common. And they would make them carry their own cross. They would make, then they would nail them or tie them to it. And then they would die of suffocation or drowning on their own spit. Over the course of days. And so... When Jesus is telling his disciples, he's putting in the context of counting the cost. He said, you can't be my disciple unless you do this. And we made light of it. So I want to talk today about bearing our cross. So in Luke 14, 25 through 35, we're going to read it together. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus. That's pretty common throughout the Gospels. Usually, probably in the thousands, they just followed him around. Couldn't get away from him. He turned around and said to them, and it's kind of interesting because whenever Jesus wanted to get rid of the crowd, he said really hard things to them. Like after he fed them the 5,000 uh, five men, he turned around the next day and they, they, they asked for a sign. <laughs> Like, like, what do you mean you want a sign? He just fed you with a Lunchable. But they asked for a sign, and he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. And they're like, 
what? Like, peace out. And then he turns to the apostles and he said, are you going to leave? And Peter says, you alone are the words of life. We're, we're with you. And he got rid of, he dispersed the crowds that way. Here, it says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Wait, Jesus said that? It's red letters. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Then he says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether the army of 10,000 could defeat the army of 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he would send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. He said that. That's kind of heavy, man. Salt is only good for a season, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Those are heavy words. Doesn't sound like an excuse, does it? Doesn't sound like an excuse, like, oh, it's my cross to bear. I just have an anger problem, or I just have an addiction problem. I... Jesus, I have a wonder. He's like, no, that's not what I said. Here he says in Matthew 16, 21 through 28, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders or the priest and that council, the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law, and he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Like, he's telling them this plainly. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to raise. And it's like they forgot. Like, it's a, he had multiple conversations about this. And then when it finally happens, they're like depressed. It says he told them plainly. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Has God ever told you something hard that you didn't want to hear? And you wanted to take, take him aside and be like, listen here, bud. Let me teach you something. Well, let me tell you. You have nothing to teach God. And the only thing you attributed to your salvation is your sin. So it'll probably end like this conversation. Peter says this. 
He's reprimanding Jesus, the Son of God, telling him, no, you can't fulfill your purpose. That's really what he's saying. He said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Peter thought he was doing Jesus a favor. He's like, listen, God, or listen, Jesus, you're the Messiah, Master. I, I believe in you, and we need to keep you alive so you can bring about, you know, the, the revolution, set up your kingdom. And Jesus is like, you guys aren't getting it. I'm not here to set up a kingdom like that. It's a kingdom of the heart for all tribes, for all people. And so it's interesting here, though, you, you, if you do a comparison to this point and then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter is trying to be a good friend to keep Jesus from getting crucified, which is a horrible death. And Jesus turns around and says, you will not keep me from, be, from fulfilling my purpose. Because that's, that's what Peter was trying to do. He said, get behind me, Satan. Peter is called Satan. Jesus calls his friend Satan because his friend was trying to keep him from doing his purpose. And yet the one who betrayed him, Judas, walks up to him, betrayed Jesus, leads the soldiers to him in the garden. And what does Jesus call Judas in the garden? He says, friend. Why? Even though Judas is betraying him, Judas is actually ushering Jesus into his destiny. Where Peter was trying to stop it. So maybe those people that you think are against you might be helping usher you into your destiny and walk with God. And the people that are trying to keep you and play it safe, you might just need to say, get behind me, Satan, even though they might be your friends. That's bonus. We're going to keep going. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower. You must give up your own way. Some translations read it this way. You must die to yourself. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? If Anything is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in glory of the Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So let's talk about taking up your cross. Now that we've looked at the context of the two times Jesus talked to his followers about it, it's not what we've made it to be. But I want to tell you what it does for you. Taking up your cross for Jesus will, will make you a disciple, not a fan. When you decide, when you decide to pick up your cross... And go after Jesus. When you, you're like, I'm just going all in. I'm, gonna, I'm going to throw caution to the wind. I'm all in on Jesus. And many of us have made that decision many years ago. And some of us are still making those decisions day in and day out. It's a daily thing. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. 
Die to yourself daily. It's a daily thing. I'm going all in with Jesus today. Every morning, it will make you a disciple, not a fan. Did you know Jesus did not call us to be a fan club? You notice this, he turns around in Luke and he talks to the crowd. There's this large cr- group of followers that were always following. Jesus had a lot of fans. And you know what a fan? A fan knows everything about a person. A fan likes to listen to them. A fan might even go where they go. A fan, a fan likes to, to buy their merchandise. A fan likes the benefits of being around them. How many of you guys are fans of music? Like different artists. I, I, like, I like music. I, I like Hillsong. I like Elevation. I, I like a lot of different people. I'm fans, but I don't know them. I, I buy their albums, but I don't know them. And some of us treat Jesus like that. We know all about him. We can re- like, I can read about Toby Mac's life. I can read about what's going on in him. I can know all about him, but he doesn't know anything about me because I'm a fan. And some of us treat Jesus like that. We think we're in a relationship with him, but then we're not really a, we're not a disciple of him. We're just fans. We we can know all about him. We can read the Bible, but he doesn't know you because there's no relationship. A disciple will stop their life to become a disciple. Like biblical disciples, when you became a disciple of a rabbi, they would literally stop what they were doing to follow that person. They would give up, like literally, you look at Peter, James, and John, when he called them, what did they do? They got out of their boats, gave up fishing to follow Jesus. They went from full-time fishermen to full-time disciples. They stopped their life to follow Jesus. They won't just be in the same room. A fan wants to be in the same room, be in the presence. You see, you see people around movie stars all the time, and they act so stupid when they get in the presence of a movie star. They're like, those are people just like you, except they're loaded and they're idiots. But then you're acting like idiots, so they're just like you. They, we, like, it, it's weird. But a disciple, what a, dis, a disciple, a disciple goes out of their way to serve. A disciple serves. A fan won't serve. A fan wants to know about, a disciple wants to become. I don't just want to know about Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. Christian doesn't mean Christ-like. It means little Christ. We are called. The Holy Spirit isn't making us to be a version of Jesus. He's making us to be Jesus to this world. He's making us be Jesus. He cultivates in us to be Jesus. He, that, that's the whole point. I don't want to be like Jesus. I want to be a little Christ to this world. Jesus never had a lack of fans, especially when it's popular to follow him. Did you know at this moment, he had thousands of people that wanted to follow him. Everyone wanted to follow Jesus. Everyone wanted the miracles. Everyone wanted the food. Everyone wanted deliverance. Everyone. Every, it's really, it was popular to follow Jesus. 
But when they started trying to kill him, <laughs> he started making statements like, hey, you're going to give up your life if you follow me. And they're like, wait, 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 stop. You just say, I have to die? Well, that changes things. I'm going to admire from afar. It does. There's thousands of people here following Jesus, but at the cross, there is only one disciple and four followers. And one of those was his mom. I don't know if that counts. It wasn't popular to follow Jesus when he's hanging on the cross. A couple years ago, it was really popular for all the celebrities and in our, in our country to say that you're a Christian. Man, like politicians are like, well, I'm a Christian. Uh, celebrities were saying, I'm a Christian. Jack Black had a shirt. He, he did a bunch of interviews that said, Jesus is my BFF. It was popular to associate with Jesus. But now when, when you stand on the word of God and you dig into who he is and what he says, it's not so popular because Jesus requires repentance. Now, people are discovering when you pick up your cross, you get splinters. It's not so comfortable anymore when, when Jesus requires you to give up your own way. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? I, I can't continue to live this way. But I was born this way. Jesus says you got to be born again. It, it, that's the cost of being a follower or, or a disciple. When you pick up your cross, it will make you a disciple, not a fan. To call yourself a Christian now is ridiculed. But now is the time to take up our cross and get up under the cross more than ever. A fan always wants to help you carry your cross as long as it doesn't cause discomfort. A disciple knows that the cross will give them splinters and lead to their death. Just part of it. But why does Jesus insist on this to be his disciple? It kind of seems hard. What if I told you he knows better than you? What if I told you he, is, he has bigger, better, and longer plans for your life than you do? Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come to give you life and give it to the full. When we walk with Jesus, will we receive ridicule from this world? For sure. From the moment Jesus performed the miracle in Canaan, it's exponential how much he got persecuted. The more he walked in obedience, the more he got persecuted. But it's worth it. It's always worth it because picking up your cross makes you a disciple. And when, when we become disciples, we get to live in that abundant life. We quit caring about what the world thinks anyways. If they want to cancel me, who cares? What are they going to do? I don't have anything. <laughs> but Jesus. And he, when you have Jesus, that's all you need. Getting up under the cross will make you a disciple. And then it helps you to see the benefit. Wow, this life is so much better than the life I wanted. It's, 
It's amazing how we get things so backwards in our society and we think we know better than God. But God knows and he planned your life backwards so you can live it out forward, but yet he gives you free will in order to make decisions and he he calls you, get up under that cross and follow me and then you'll see abundant life. It's what did Jesus say? When you, when you try to save your life, you'll lose it. It's backwards. And you see people all the time. I'm, I want to do it my way. And then they overdose on drugs. They get diseases because they're doing it their way. But when you just live for Jesus, you live an abundant life. It's not just for heaven. It's here. God wants to bless you here until you get there. Taking up your cross for Jesus will make you a disciple, not a fan. He doesn't need another fan. He needs true disciples. And now is the time to get up under the cross. Taking up your cross for Jesus will cost you everything, but it's worth it. A fan wants to follow as long as it doesn't cost them relationships doesn't cost them financially, and if it's convenient. When you follow Jesus, it will cost you all three of those. It's not always convenient. Sometimes he'll say, hey, go help that person. They need groceries. God, I don't have that much. That's all right. I'm telling you, the more you step in faith and obey, given it will be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over, like every time Amy and I have stepped out in faith and the Lord's laid on our heart to bless someone or to help them, by whatever it is, the Lord multiplies that back to us. I don't know how it works, but he does. It costs. I have family members that don't want to talk to me. I don't, there's friends that I used to have that don't talk to me anymore. It costs. A disciple knows to become like Jesus, it will cost them everything. But it's worth it. Because I didn't even like my family to begin with. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just joking. I like some of them. So often and too often we believe that saying a simple prayer makes us a disciple. And then we go back to living the same life we did before we said the prayer. The proof of your salvation isn't a prayer prayed. It isn't a confession. Some of us are habitual confessors. We just like keep confessing our sin over and over and over and over. But then there's no change. Like you can confess your sin until you're blue in the face. But until you repent of your sin... There's not going to be a change. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there, that, that's not proof of your salvation just because you could tell people like, hey, I did this. No, don't get me wrong. I think you should confess. And some of us are in a process and he's burning it out of you. You know, like when confession works, it's when you start to hate the thing you have to confess. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's working on you. When you quit, like, like when you, you, you fall back into something you've been struggling with, okay? Hear me out. 
and you turn around and confess it to your accountability and it eats you alive. You're like, I hate this so much because it grieved the heart of God. Not because I got caught, not because I did it, because it grieved God's heart and therefore it grieved my heart. That's proof that the Holy Spirit's in you because sin wouldn't grieve you if he wasn't in you. That means he's working on you. The proof of your salvation is, are you born again? That means we look different, we act different, we think different. When my children were born, they were, they were mine to care for, provide for, and to love. They were, they were born of me. They have my DNA in them. They are mine. And when you're born again, you are God's to care for. You are God's to provide for. And you are God's to love. And you might not have his DNA in you, but you have something better. You have his spirit in you. Do my children do things that aggravate the fire out of me that I'm not proud of? Yes. Do my children disappoint, maybe not disappoint, but disobey? Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're not mine. Some of us feel like we're not God's children because we messed up. That's not true. If you confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart and you are intentionally trying to go after Jesus, there's a change in you. Like, you guys know. How many of you guys remember the moment you were saved? You remember that change? It's different. It's, it, there, there's a difference. You might have been a moral person before, but suddenly you're like, I, there's things that you started giving up. Maybe I shouldn't talk to that person. Maybe I shouldn't lie. Maybe I, it just little things like that. The Holy Spirit started working because you're born again. You're born of God's spirit. So it will cost you. You have to be born again. But the thing is, you're God's. You're his. He's, he's yours. And the more we spend time with our Father, the more we start acting like him, we start looking like him, and we start praying like him, we start thinking like him, we start speaking like him. Man, the, uh, it, it's just true. My kids act just like me. My son acts just like me. And, like, he'll get on the mic. Man, a couple Wednesdays ago, I'll just give you an example of how much my son is like me. We were wrapping up prayer night, and the Lord's developing me a filter a little bit. You guys are like, he has a filter? I'm like, a touch. He's, he's working on it. Well, my son is just like me because at that age, I had no filter. Man, I, I said so many stupid things. I still do, but I mean, like, I just look back. I mean, like, I embarrassed my parents a lot. And I got a lot of butt whoopings because I said things I shouldn't have said. Well, I said, bud, do you want to say, anyone to the, say anything as we wrap up prayer night? <laughs> I held the mic up to his mouth, and this is what he said. What's up, stupios? 
I'm like, I'm so sorry. He's been with his mom too much today. Like, I, I, I didn't know what to do. But he's still mine. He's still mine. Some of us beat ourselves up because we, we think that we're not God's. If, God, if God's in you, he's working on you. He's burning out old stuff. Following Jesus will cost you everything, but it's worth it. Jesus put context on it. He said, he said if you want to be my disciple, by comparison, you must hate everyone else in your life. Your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your wife, your husband, your children. Then he says, if you don't carry your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. In Matthew, he says, if, you want, if, if anyone wants to be my follower... You must, pick up your, uh, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you, if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. Jesus put context around these things because it's important. He said, he, like, to talk about how much we have to love God to be his disciple, to ha- what it really means to pick up your cross and follow him. He's saying, you have to love me so much that all other love in your life looks like hate. He's not saying actual hate your children, hate your wife. He does, he's not saying that. He's saying his love has to be so exponentially higher that, that you, that, that all other love, all other love in your life looks like hate because his love is so high. And, and the reason why he says that is because he knows that we serve what we love. We serve what we love most. And we have too many parents now that they love their kids so much, they let their kids dictate what they do. They let, they let their kids dictate, do you want to go to church today? They make it optional. And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second because I was a youth pastor, but also because I care for the next generation, and also because this is true, but I'm not saying that you have to be at every, uh, the church every time the door is open. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, as parents and grandparents, we set the priorities. What if we have a generation that raises up that, that makes going to church normal for their children so when they miss church, their children are bummed instead of when they go to church, their children are bummed. We've had it so backwards because the reason why is because we love our kids more than we love the Lord. We love our spouse more than we love the Lord. I know that's hard, but we got to make, we got to love the Lord so much because we serve what we love most. We serve what we love most. Then Jesus said, Another hard statement. you got to give up your own way. What does this world say? Well, I was born this way. Or, my daddy was this way. That's how I am. Listen. If you feel like you're born this way, I get it. I get it. We're all born a certain way. But Jesus said, die to yourself. 
The church can't affirm things when Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. Why do you think Jesus required you to be born again? Because when you're born again, you're not born that way. His spirit comes in you, and he gives you power to die to yourself. Well, I just have an anger problem because my dad has an anger problem, or my, I just I can't control it because, you know, whatever it is. I get it. We all have baggage. But Jesus says, give up your own way. Well, it's just my cross to bear. Well, you're not bearing the same cross. Bearing a cross means you die to yourself. Oh, well, maybe you're like, well, I like it. I, I, I kind of, this is like, like a guilty pleasure. I get it. Jesus said, die to yourself. This is such a heavy Heavy message, Ryan. Why would, you, why would you follow up an event with that? I don't know. <laughs> but I felt like the Lord wanted me to say this. Here's a cool thing. Jesus doesn't just call us to die to ourselves, but he offers us new birth, and that new you is, who is born of God's spirit isn't born of the things that you used to struggle with. He gives us birth and a new identity of sonship and daughtership. He calls us his. Listen, Jesus never promised following him would be easy. And, if, and I would be lying to you if it wasn't. Jesus didn't even tell. I mean, he said, count the cost before you follow me. But he did make it very abundantly clear that it will be worth it. It will be worth it. What little you sacrifice now, it will be worth it. Whatever you're going through now, it will be worth it. Jesus is always worth it. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. It will be worth it. You see it all the time. People trying to find their life here. They're trying to make a life for themselves, and they end up losing it. They lose their marriage. They lose their kids. They lose everything. But if you just focus on Jesus, you give Jesus your life, you give up your life for him, you gain life. Why? Because Jesus is life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no life apart from him. You might be living now, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are going to die and go to hell and suffer eternal death. But he wants to give you eternal life starting today for eternity. Today, I, I, I just I want all of us to take a moment and count the cost. Just count the cost. Maybe you guys are following Jesus really good. And this, this is not one of those messages I'm trying to kick you in the, in the face or... Um, slap you or anything. I, I'm not trying to do that. I'm, I'm just breaking this down. The cost of following Jesus. It's heavy, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. He did all the work. All we have to do is believe. 
If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, like force you to do something you don't want to do. I'm going to make myself available. I'm going to tell you though, right up front, what it costs and what, what launches your relationship with Jesus. It's so simple. The, the foundation for a relationship with Jesus, and it grows from here, and it only gets better, is this. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. Come be Lord of my life. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. It's like... He says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you are saved. You are born again. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the foundation. If you're here and you say, well, I just need someone to pray with me about that or talk a little more. I'm going to be up here. Pastor Amy's going to be up here. We want to pray with you because God loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. Maybe you're here today and, and honestly, you've been... <clears throat> Instead of picking up your cross and following Jesus, you've been saying, that's kind of my cross to bear. You've been having my cross to bear mentality instead of picking up my cross mentality. Those are two different mentalities. And if you're here today and, and you've been having that mentality, I, I just want, I just, I just want a, a spirit of repentance. Say, God, forgive me. I want to, I want to, I want to pick up my cross and follow you. I don't want to make excuses in my life anymore. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm, I'm good. You can be. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're going to do is we're going to worship, and if you need prayer, we're going to be available. Oh, this is a heavy message, and honestly... I truly believe the true proof of a response to the word of God isn't an emotional time at the altar. Those are good. I love them. I have them often. I fill up snot rags and all that stuff too. I love it. But the true proof of a response to the word of God is when we walk out of here, are we going to let it change us? Or are we just going to hear a message Say, well, man, that was, a, that was a word. And then forget it and go back to how we were. Because you will respond to the word of God. You'll let it melt you or you'll let it harden you. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. But if you do need prayer, we will be available. Maybe you do need to come up here and fill up some snot rags and fall on your face before the Lord. Maybe you need just to say, hey, I, I'm going through this and I need help praying about it. So let's stand. I'm going to pray. And as the team starts to lead, step out of your seat if you need prayer. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, that though the cost is high to follow you, it's so worth it. You give eternal life. You give life to the full, all because you love us. 
Lord, you love us so much, Lord, that you want to give us a, a, a good life. You want to give us eternal life. You want, to, you want to bless us while we're here, Lord. Your word says you know the plans you have for us, the plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And Lord, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we won't face trial, but that does mean, Lord, that you are with us in the midst of it. And Lord, I, I, know, I know, Lord, that picking up the cross is worth it. And Lord, I pray that you will be with the church today. Lord, as some of them might decide to pick up their cross for the first time and to give up their own way, some of them might decide, you know what, I need to get up a little more under that cross. Some of them might decide, like, man, thank you, Lord, that you gave me this cross to bear, and I just want to worship you. Lord, I thank you so much because you are so good. Lord, I pray that you will, Holy Spirit, that you will do a work. Lord, let your word sear into our hearts that we don't walk out of here the same way we walked in. Lord, let us walk out of here changed by who you are and your word, oh God. I thank you, Father. Amen.